0: Right. What is the gospel? Now, there is only one gospel, but there's a thousand different ways to present the gospel. In fact, I think every sermon that is preached ought to at least touch on the gospel. Okay? Now, I've been preaching for 35-ish years, and I've been wondering lately if the gospel gets presented these days too much like an algebraic formula, you know, A plus B divided by C gives you X. We are sinners. God is a holy God. We have violated His holiness. But in His love, He sent Jesus, his son, to die in our place on the cross. He rose up from the dead. Believe in him. Your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven. Now, that's all true. But doesn't that seem a little algebraic? Like Jesus came to solve a math problem for us? In fact, I think there's millions of people all over the world who would say, Yeah, I I believe the facts. Of the gospel. I believe the Apostles' Creed, but it's all in their heads. And you know what? Even the demons believe the gospel. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe in and shudder. What that tells you is it's possible for a person to have perfect doctrine, if there is, you know, if we could find The absolute perfect doctrine. It's possible to believe that and still not be saved because Satan has really good doctrine, but he is not saved. Okay? So here's what I want to do today I want to cover the gospel, but I want to do it through the eyes of Hosea the prophet. And what, when we see what happens between Hosea and his wife, her name was, anybody know her name? Gomer, yeah, which was a bad choice. You don't marry a Gomer, um, but he marries Gomer, and she cheats on him. And God is in essence saying this is the story of his relationship with his people Israel, which is really a picture of his relationship with us as sinners. In other words, I hope that looking at this through the eyes of Hosea and Gomer takes it out of the the, uh, intellectual uh, just simply the algebraic presentation of the gospel and it Reveals God's heart. All right? So, um, you know me, I got to present things in an outline. So, I'm going to give you four points. All begin with the letter L. We're going to see Hosea losing Gomer, him longing for Gomer, him luring Gomer, and him loving Gomer. Okay? And I think I should get credit even for just doing that. Don't you think that? Okay, all right. All right, so here's how the Gospel of Hosea begins. It says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Daeblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, some of you are like, whoa, <laughs> I thought I'd go to church today and get a nice, encouraging sermon, and here we got whoredom, whoredom. What, what is this all about? Um what is what is interesting is uh, that word appears three times in one verse. <laughs> I was asking what the weather would be. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> don't, don't Google whoredom, or we're going to get in all kind of trouble here this morning. Okay? (laughs) All right. So the word whoredom appears three times in verse 2. It appears 19 times in Hosea and 78 times in the Bible. In other words, God's view of our sin is very serious. Okay? You go, why would he ask Hosea? marry a woman who would cheat on him. Well, a lot of times in the Bible, God not only asks a prophet to speak on God's behalf, but to live out a picture of how God feels. Okay? Now, if we pause right here, we learn something about God. Okay? See, a lot, a lot of us have a picture of God I, I had this picture growing up that he's kind of like the traffic cop, hiding behind the billboard with the radar, and he wants to trap you, okay. And uh, if if you go a little bit over, ah, got you! Te- I got you on a technicality, and you're in trouble, okay. Here we see that God portrays Himself as a husband who desires an intense love relationship with his wife. There, there's, there's different metaphors that God uses. There's the shepherd-sheep relationship. There's the king-subject relationship. There's the judge-defendant relationship. But here we see God at the most intimate level as a husband Desiring an intimate relationship with his people. Okay? So, what's the unavoidable conclusion? Our sin feels to God like a husband feels when his wife betrays him over and over and over. Right? That's a little different than A plus B divided by C equals believe in Jesus and you go to heaven. Do you realize that your sin, my sin, is betrayal to God? Now, I did Google. I guess I should have been told to use duck, duck, go. I duck, duck, go No, I... I googled the question, what's it like to have your spouse cheat on you? And there's these different forums um, where people can give their input. And here's uh, what some people wrote. One, One wrote, it's like driving your car and having someone cut you off, which runs you off the road. Your car flips multiple times before coming to a stop as you come out of the traumatic trance, you only begin to take inventory of the real damage in, in the aftermath of the wreckage. It hurt so bad, I fell to my knees sobbing, and I do mean sobbing, blubbering, bawling uncontrollably. uncontrollably. Another one writes, my life stopped, my world started spinning, I couldn't breathe as tears filled my eyes, all I wanted to do was run away and hide and scream and cry. I felt so stupid, so betrayed. I wanted answers. I wanted to ask, did, did they think of me or our daughter? Did they did they even love me or was this all a game? Another one. Tears would flow at the drop of a hat for anything and everything because you don't realize how much of your world revolved around this person until you associate some of the most insipid things to them. Seeing her favorite cookies in the aisle at the grocery store. Hearing our song on the radio. Subconsciously taking the exit to go, to go home only to realize that it isn't your home anymore. These all act as 12-inch knives slowly drilling their way into your heart. Another... I've often compared the pain to having a limb amputated with no anesthesia, with a dull knife. So there's the hurt that God feels when we betray Him as sinners. The other emotion that rises to the surface is anger. One person wrote, as you come more to terms with the amount of damage and loss you've sustained in this failed marriage, you won't be able to avoid the rage that comes with the realization of how much time you've wasted. You know, um, in the book of Proverbs, there's many warnings against committing adultery. Don't do it, don't do it. And one of the things that Solomon writes is you may lose your life because of the anger of the spouse of the person you're having an affair with. Proverbs 6, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it Destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. You know, uh, I teach the book of Romans, and we just covered this verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And if you just look at uh, the gospel and sin as an algebraic problem, God is holy, we are sinners, we have violated his law. This wrath verse doesn't seem to make sense. It's like God's upset at a math problem. But when you understand it from the point of view of a spouse who's been cheated on, oh, I see how God feels. I see why he is wrathful. Okay? So the gospel through the eyes of Hosea open our eyes to a, to a different perspective. The first point is, when Hosea loses Gomer, there's hurt, there's anger, there's loss. Okay? Now, you would think he would wipe his hands clean of her and move on. But let's look at the second L, longing. Now, God says, Hosea, Mary, Gomer. Why? Because that relationship is a picture of my relationship with my people, Israel. Okay. Israel has gone after other gods, idols. They're disregarding my law. I'm furious. But then, at one point, he says this. Now, this is God speaking of Israel. Therefore, behold, I will allure and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. To allure her means he is still longing to have her back. Now, Don't take this to mean God is just a big loser and he's soft on sin. Okay? But we are to see that in spite of our betrayal of God and and despite his pain and anger, he hasn't given up on his people. And he still has this intense desire to have a relationship with with us, You know, I think of the story of Hosea and Gomer and I, I, I can't help but see parallels between the, prodigal, the father of the prodigal son and the prodigal son. When the prodigal son betrayed his father and then he repented and he's taking that long journey back home here's what it says. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, here's the question. How did he just happen to see him a long way off? Because every day he was out looking over the horizon. Hoping, longing that his son would return to him. There's a longing. Does your picture of God have any place for a longing God? Here in Ezekiel, God said, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the Turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways for why will you die, O house of Israel? That's not A plus B divided. That's a a brokenhearted, longing God agonizing over his people's sin. And then there's Jesus. Jesus. Weeping over Jerusalem, 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 you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have, there it is, longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. So we see God losing us. We see him longing for us to be restored to him. And now we see him luring. Same verse, Hosea 2:14, "Therefore, behold, I will allure, lure her, and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her." Isn't this interesting? He, he doesn't go after her, grab her by the hair, drag her back home screaming. He actually says, I'm going to win her back. I'm going to speak tenderly to her. Like he's back in high school again. Infatuated with that girl. Oh, what can I do to win her back? You know, John uh, 644. It's a favorite verse of Calvinists. Okay. Um, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And uh, well, let's point out that, that the drawing here is not just this, oh, please, please, but it's, it's what you call effectual drawing because everybody that is drawn ends up saved and raised up on the last day. In other words, God always gets his man or woman. Okay, But what I want us to see is that while this is a strong drawing, when you combine it with Hosea 2.14, it's also a tender drawing. It's Hosea saying, I'm going to go back and get her. I'm going to bring her home, but I'm going to do it tenderly. Now, let's look at it from Gilmer's point of view, from the sinner's point of view, you know, um, to come to Christ, you need to repent. Stop running from Christ and turn to Christ. Now, there's a mystery involved in how this whole thing works. Where does repentance start? I know one thing. When you look at Hosea, or Gomer, I should say, and the prodigal son, it can start with a selfish motive. The motive can be, boy, it sure was better back there. Right? The prodigal son has spent all his inheritance. He's working on a pig farm, and he has nothing to eat. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, the NIV says, "How he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So it starts with just, look at what my life has become. It was better back home. When it comes to Gomer, this is God speaking about Israel. Okay, She shall pursue her lover's But not overtake them. She's going after these other men, these other idols, but they're not paying attention to her. They don't don't really love her. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. She doesn't get what she's thinking will fulfill her. Then she shall say, I will go and return. To my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. It starts with, look at the mess I've made of my life. Boy, it was better back there. right? Many times God allows us to feel the pain of sinful choices... To wake us up and bring us back to our senses. In fact, look what, uh, look, look what God's going to do for Israel. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. Life's going to get really hard for Israel and for Gomer. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season and I will take away my wool and my flax which were to cover her nakedness, and take away her basics. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths and her appointed feasts and I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees. The question, if your back is toward Christ and you haven't come to Him, are the painful consequences of the life you're living worth it? Is it really all you thought it would be? Or might it God... Might it be God lovingly luring you back to Him? Now, at some point, the analogy between humans and God breaks down because ultimately, when a person repents and comes to Christ, it's because God is changing your heart. In a human-to-human relationship, what's so frustrating is we have no ultimate control over their heart. But God can change our hearts. And look what he says about Israel. He says, For I will remove the name of the Baals, and that's that's the name of these false gods, so I, she's out there playing around with these false gods and their name is on her mouth. All I'm going to remove the names of the balls from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. I'm going to change her heart so she doesn't even think about them anymore. And then there's this promise. Afterwards, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear, that's reverence, to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. By the way, I do think there's going to be a great revival of Jewish people in the latter days. Okay, But notice... is changing their heart. Okay? Jesus says you must be born again. You must have a heart change. You must be regenerated. And God uses many different things. He allows us to feel the pain of a squandered life. He allows us to be convicted. He gives us this analogy between Hosea and Gomer to show us what our sin is really like to him. Okay. And then finally, she returns, or he goes and gets her, and they experience a genuine loving relationship. Okay. And the Lord said to me, this is chapter three, go again, love a woman who is loved. By another man and is an adulteress. Notice it doesn't say go and just tolerate her. Go and just live with her. No. Go and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. And then this is a strange thing. And love cakes of raisins. Never did like the uh, fruitcake you get at Christmas. Now that had something to do with pagan uh, worship and, and they would, would have food and that was all tied together in with, with idolatry. So look what Hosea does. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Like the prodigal son, Gomer, had sunk so low that she found herself in deep poverty, maybe even in slavery. So for Hosea to get her back, he pays the slave price. That's called redemption. When, when you buy a slave out of slavery, you pay a redemption Right? And of course, this is a picture Christ paid to set us free from slavery. Imagine the humiliation Hosea went through as he walked through town. And there's his unfaithful wife on the slave block. And the fool loves her so much he's willing to buy her back. But he did. Imagine Jesus carrying a cross up a hill to be nailed to that cross, stripped naked, mocked to buy us back. But he did. So, so there's, in here, here I'll end the last point with three Rs. Okay. There's redemption pictured in Hosea buying her back. There's remarriage. Okay. Now God's going to talk about a covenant that He's going to make. And I will make for them a covenant. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. I want to remarry you. I will make a covenant of marriage with you. God's not half-hearted and his people are not half-hearted. They're in this now. The price has been paid. Forgiveness has been granted. And now they're remarried. And then the last thing I want you to notice is this and you shall know the Lord. And that word know is not just, a, hey, nice to meet you, nice to know you. That's the same word. You know, Adam knew Eve and they had a child. They know each other the past is the past this is a restored relationship where there's genuine love let's let's end with the son returning to the father and he arose and came to his father but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Right? That's the gospel. Not just an algebraic formula. You're a sinner, Jesus died for you, believe the facts, you're in. We're Gomer. We have hurt God. But he longs for us. He comes after us. He pays the price. He changes our heart. And now we have a genuine relationship with him now and forever. Maybe you've never seen it that way. And maybe today God's opened your eyes and your heart and you say, I want that. You say, what do I do? Throw yourself, like the the prodigal son, throw yourself on the mercy of the Father. And he will run to you and embrace you. And you will know him. Let's pray.